Darren, uh, of all the people you know in this world, which, yes. is, which is a lot, uh-huh. which is a lot, does anybody listen to more podcasts than I do? No. Not a single person. I mean, there's not any, a, a person on earth. Okay. That okay. Is that meant. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, that was a quick answer. So the man we're talking to today was my gateway drug to the podcast world. <laughs> I love what you say that. <laughs> <laughs> the man we're talking to today, you can blame yeah. for my obsession mm-hmm. with podcasts. Let me tell you a quick story, and, and, and we'll get to you in a second. Uh, I'm sure you're eager to hear this as well. So 2018... Mm-hmm. I was I was late to the podcast game. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, podcasts have been around for a long time, right. but I had never listened to them. Never, never really got into that world. But in 2018, I stumbled on a podcast called Finding Mastery. And I don't even remember how I did it. I think probably somebody shared it with me, something like that. And the first episode I listened to was with the founder of Hurley. You know what Hurley yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the clothing brand. Clothing, yeah. Bob Hurley. And then the next episode on this Finding Mastery podcast was with our friend Rich Froning, mm-hmm. who we've had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was hooked, man. It was instant. And not only was I hooked because of the, the two guests, Bob Hurley and Rich Froning, great stories, okay. but the host is what captured me. Yeah. His, his thought-provoking ability to ask questions, it, it re- I mean, it was, it was this new world that I hadn't experienced before, of this, this conversation mm-hmm. that I got to be a part of. Even though I wasn't there, mm-hmm. I got to be a part of it. And, of course, that host, after that long-winded intro, yeah. <laughs> Give it to us. is Dr. Michael Gervais. And if you can't hear it in my voice, I'm super, maybe yeah, the most excited I've been yeah. uh, for this podcast. Both of us. Of, uh, I, and I've got a list. You know what? Doc, I, I'm going to call him Doc. I got to yeah, call so him Doc. I have so to, man. I can't. That's respect. That's respect <laughs> in the sports world because he's got the education. Doc, look, man, there, there are so many questions that I have for you. I mean, so be, be prepared for today because it's coming from uh, a guy who played 13 years in the NFL but also as a business owner, and I, I just need to pick your brain on, a, on some things. And I think – I'm sure a lot of our listeners, mm-hmm. I'm going to do them a huge favor yeah, today for by sure. asking these questions. For sure. Yeah. And Dr. Gervais, if you're not uh, familiar with him, is a high-performance sports psychologist – uh, or high-performance psychologist, maybe, you know, in the sports world as well. How are you today, sir? How fun. You guys are on <laughs> fire. And I feel, um, I feel stoked to be here as well. And so thank you for that intro. That's, um, it's, it means a lot, probably yeah. more than you know. And um, so I'm stoked to be here with you. Fire away. Yes. Let's, um, let's roll up our sleeves and get into yeah. Really yeah. what it means to Absolutely. We, we know we're, yeah, we know we're somewhat limited on time today. So we're, we're going we're gonna to get into the hard-hitting questions here, mm-hmm. in, here in a bit. But we do want to understand where you come from, a little bit about your background, a little about your story. That's how we like to set up all of our conversations, to give a little context to people uh, and, and who they're listening to. So take us back to the beginning, where you're from, what family life was like. Just, just take us back and tell us about that. Yeah, cool. So I'll do a long kind of story very short in a short amount of time is that I grew up on a farm in Virginia. And so my parents dropped out. So this is in the seventies. They dropped out from, you know, the the corporate life that they were heading into. And they're like, "Mm -mm, we're not doing it like this, you know? And so Mm -hmm. they, they, I don't know how they did it, but they bought this. It was really cheap with dirt roads, no, no, um, no streetlights. Uh, running water was a luxury in the winter. And so they, they scraped some pennies together, bottle, uh, call it a farm. It's not, a, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> like it right. was just like, yeah. And so, so I grew up there from years, uh, you know, I think I left, we left there like when I was 12. And so, um, when I say hillbilly, I mean, hillbilly. <laughs> okay. so but it was, it was hillbilly with like, uh, it sounds so backwards when I say that, but it was like, it was, um, flower power type of stuff where mm. my parents were true hippies and they're like listen let's just get reconnected to nature mm. so mother nature taught me a lot at a young kid if i didn't get back to the house before the sun went down right um, it was dangerous it was scary it scared the shit out of me so i i knew i needed to be attuned to mother nature and so then my dad he he's got a better sense of himself and got a job <laughs> in the corporate world we moved over to california and talk about being a fish out of water. I showed up like 
Like I was, I was in a different planet. Mm. And so I had to learn quickly how to figure out how, what, how the social world works. And, um, I got in a bunch of fist fights because I didn't know any better. And I just spoke the truth and people were like, that's corny. And I was like, what do you mean I'm corny? And so like huh. that thing happened at, uh, in the, in the middle school and I come home and my folks were like, how was it first day? And I was like, great. <laughs> like, <laughs> what have I done in my life? And then, so, and I do think like, I, I'm, I'm a pacifist at this point in my life, but I do think that like, I don't want to hurt an animal. I don't want to hurt anything really. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I've just gotten into this different phase of my life for a lot of reasons. And, but I do think there's value in squaring up. I think mm. there's value in dropping your hips and like looking somebody in the eye and saying, mm. okay, I'm not moving. You know, I think there's, I learned something about that transition years where um, it was hard and difficult. And um, so that was an important kind of phase. So mother nature to that transition of, of not knowing how like kids really work in, in, in suburbs. And then, um, and then I found surfing and motocross mm. and then i found skateboarding oh you and, became all west coast then after that yeah, didn't you 100%. yeah percent. and yeah. you know what happened i think you'll probably appreciate this is that i didn't so sport is a great kind of place to figure out um social and to have some fun and you know express yourself in ways and i went into sport at, at a young age and i was like i don't get it these adults are screaming at me. And what are these mm. lines? Why, why are we have to keep the ball with soccer? Why do we have to keep the ball inside the lines? And I, it was all these man-made rules and adults screaming at kids. And I was like, this is whack. And so I went back to mother nature stuff where if I didn't have my stuff together, if I didn't have my mind right, um, I'd leave skin on the asphalt. Mm. I'd be held under in, you know, a big wave where it was like scary and motocross, you know, the margins of error there are real yeah. as well. So, I just was more attracted to natural consequences and um, that sense of feeling like uh, I determine, I determine the risk, I determine uh, how I'm going to relate to mother nature. And if you get it right, the shit's great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, right. It's like, wow, there's, there's very few powers like that. And so anyways, so that's how it started. And then quick story to just wrap it up is that um, I couldn't put it together. I was 15 years old, um, perfect conditions, competitive surfing opportunity. Usually there's like 35 folks out paddling and fighting for waves. And, you know, it's about three three to five waves an hour, you know, so it's super competitive, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that people are trying to get. And this is a a competition setting where there's three people out. Waves are beautifully, uh, it's about six foot, perfect glass. It's about seven, seven o'clock in the morning. And the only difference is that there's judges and Mm. there's people on the beach watching. I'll be damned if I didn't just implode Mm. and like, you know, and every, it was every time. And so my skill didn't change my, my technical or physical skills didn't change, but my mind did. Mm -hmm. And so I'm out there paddling and there was a, an older gentleman that I was competing against. And he was like in his twenties and he says, Gervais, I see you out here every day. And I'm watching you in this heat and you're a mess. Mm. He said, you just got to stop worrying about what could go wrong. And then he paddled off. I was right. like, holy shit. Like, yeah. How does he know? That's uh-huh. all I'm thinking about. And so it, he didn't tell me how to solve it, but that was the beginnings of me going, oh, this mental part of the game is really important. So that, that kind of started the whole thing for me. So how old were you at this time? I was 15. You're 15. Yeah. And that's not, I mean, that's normal. I mean, it, I mean, if you think about it, that's, that's kind of normal. I think even at, you know, in my, in my lifetime as a young kid, I mean, I had doubts and, and some of the doubts were when people were watching, it was the craziest thing when I was a kid, I, I could learn, I could know a test and be prepared. And then on test day on Friday, when everybody was there, I'm blowing it. Like I'm just, I just blank and can't remember shit. But it was specific. But I know I could play in a football game or a basketball game where hundreds of people are there and I'm, I'm on fire. Like, I want to show off because of the people are there, are, are sitting there watching. It was just, you know, it just depended on what it was, the situation was. Well, that's cool. So I didn't have what you had. You know, I didn't either. I, you didn't have it either? I did not. Yeah. Mm. I was like you, very in my head in performance yeah. uh, opportunities. I think – I. I think we're now at a different place where, so when I was in, in the league for about nine years, the first draft class that would come in, the kids would be like, 
I would, I would ask them and kids, the college graduates mm -hmm. or finishing up college. Kids. I would say, yeah, you're right. Kids. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say, so tell me about the mental part of the game. And they go, oh, yeah, that's important. And I go, okay, so what are you doing with it? And they go, well, what do you mean? And it's like, oh, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So about three years in, and this was like, uh, let's see, what year are we? 2022. This is probably, um, 2013, 14. Mm -hmm. And then the kids started saying, oh, you mean like imagery? Yeah, we, we mm -hmm. kind of know about that. Coach talked to us a little bit at college. And then the last handful of years, kids that were coming in out of the draft were like, oh, yeah, no, we, yeah, we do imagery, you know, six minutes a day, you know, pre post, da 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 da. Yeah, we got our goals written down. Yeah, self talk. Yeah, I'm on it. I know mm -hmm. how to speak to myself. I'm like, God damn, all right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so it's coming. Mm -hmm. And um, we haven't, the industry of, training the mind inside of sport is about 10 years ahead of training the mind inside of business. And it's starting to happen in really cool ways in sport right now, at, at least in elite sport. So it's, it's, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so, you, so you're sitting there on the surfboard at 15 and you have this aha moment aided by, you know, a friend of yours. I'm assuming that was your first moment of realization that, that you, or at least it, it, the clarity that I struggle with this. You know, it's one yeah. thing to know that you're struggling. It's another thing to know what to do with that. So how did you start to fix yourself or start to improve that part of your game? Well, okay, that's a cool question. And no one's, no one's asked that question. So in that moment, I sat there for, you know, a couple beats and I was like, how did he know? And I said, yeah, so it's not working that I'm thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And it, I was so nervous, like I couldn't feel my feet. Mm. I felt like my legs were different. You know, my arms were like weaker. And it's all the physiological things that come with that fight flight mode mm -hmm. where literally you're in a different body, right? Because you're preparing for the greatest danger that you could face, even though it's something I love doing. Right. And so I, you know, one beat, two beat, three beat, well, damn, that's not working. So why don't I start thinking about what I wanna have happen? And that was like this innocent 15 year old kid going, mm. well, let me just flip it. And flipping the script is something we talk about all the time, but psychologically from a science perspective, it's called reframing. Mm. You know, so you're doing some gymnastics with your mind to flip exactly how you're imagining your future. And if you can be disciplined, come to find out, if you can be uncommonly disciplined about using your mind to see and feel how you wanna show up and be, and there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do underneath the surface to make that be consistent. If you can be disciplined in that way to use your mind as an asset, it, you start to play in life mm -hmm. as opposed to feel like you're on your, your, your heels. And so that's, it kind of happened in that moment mm -hmm. where I started seeing myself surfing the way I wanted to surf, the way I knew I could surf. I was like, Oh my God, there's something to it. Yeah. That's wisdom. To be able to flip your yeah. mentality that quick yeah. in that moment. That's a skill and that yeah. can be taught. We can all like, you know, we, what was it like 15 years ago? If you ask a strength coach, can you make someone faster? They're like, yeah, that's how I make my living. What do you mm. mean? Mm -hmm. But 30 years ago, can, you know, you ask a head coach, can you make someone faster or jump higher? They're like, hmm. You're yeah. born with speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you said something there that really brought back memories of, of, of why, and Ben knows this, I talk to myself a lot, but, be, but it started out of fear. It started in the fact that, you know, I was in school and we moved a lot and I was always similar to you. I used to get into these fights and I can remember talking to myself before the bell rung at 3 p.m. knowing that I was going to walk out of this, this classroom and I was going to go across the street, across this place called the RJ's Liquor Store and there was, I was going to have to fight. Right. And it's like mentally from nine o'clock in the morning, knowing this is going to happen, I'm playing it in my mind and I'm, I'm probably talking to myself the whole time. But I remember that. But then some of the same, that's almost like it flipped to a positive of mine because even in, in game situations, I always I'm talking to myself before I'm always like a, it's like a hype video. Like my mind will not stop hyping myself to be, you know, who I am. And it's, and it's been, I mean, it went from fear to I was using it in a good way and had no idea. Yeah. So Darren, like, this is why you were in the league and did what you did because you had one, you had the awareness of how your mind worked. Mm -hmm. And then two, you used it to build images and live 
literally laid tracks, neurological tracks, to familiarize your brain, your neurological system, and your mind about what greatness look like. Mm. And so that that skill is, we, we often overlook, kind of throw it away like, oh yeah, I do imagery, but to do it in a disciplined way might be one of the more powerful skills that we know. And we don't really know how it works. We don't really know how the brain works yet. We've got you know a decent understanding, but it's a relatively new science. But so sports psychology, Darren, came from studying people like you. Mm. How do the greats do it? And so, you know, 30 years ago, your contemporaries were teaching us uh, exactly that. So that's awesome. So here I'm thinking this whole time I was fucking crazy. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm just absolutely crazy for talking. You, you are crazy. You are I crazy. Am. I know. As, as, as a tackle, there's a, you know, you guys are a little, you guys are a little different. Right? <laughs> Let's, let's be honest. Like you can walk through a locker room. How about it? You can tell who the tackles are. You can tell who the O line is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's really funny. Like yeah. not that you could profile any of it, but like the cleanliness and the on the oh the O-line, yeah right yes <laughs> yes O line are just sloppy. It's, I mean they're so they're bad. spit chewing tobacco spitting it all over the place yeah, cups are spilt over yeah. yeah safeties are prima donnas and and the 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 high felicia. yeah we are I mean safeties are <laughs> we are yeah so true so true not really oh, not yeah. really but back to your story because you said something a second ago while you're on that surfboard and not I, I, not I hate to linger too long but I'm just <laughs> fascinated by this moment of yours you said and I'm assuming this is a bug in our system as opposed to a feature you said even though it's something you enjoy doing. You just couldn't get over that fear until you flipped it. Can you expand on that? Why, why, why is that part of our, you know, the way we react to things? Even so, those, when it's something we can enjoy, why does that fear response come so prevalent to a lot of us? Our brain is designed. So our brain is millions of years old. And, our, you know, it hasn't adapted to modern technology yet. It hasn't adapted to even modern scenarios So the brain is a 3.2 pounds of tissue that sits inside your skull. And think about that, like the hardware that's running the show. Mm -hmm. And it's constantly gathering information from your fingertips to your eyes, to your auditory system. It's constantly gathering information from the external world and from itself. It's monitoring itself. And its prime dictum is to scan the world and find all the threats, Mm -hmm. to find the dangers because its dictum is to stay alive. And so your ancestry and our, my ancestry passed that down and it's strong because without that dictum, like, you know, we're not gonna be here. And so that is so strong and so old that there's a very predictable cascade that takes place as soon as we interpret something to be a potential threat. Now it could be a real threat or a perceived threat. Mm-hmm. And we can't, we don't have the luxury to say, in that bush, is that a saber tooth or is that a rabbit? So if we just know in the bush, there are saber tooths out here that we got to fire up. And so now what happens, we're not running from saber tooths anymore. We are figuring out how threats of the modern world are and the modern world, the great threat in the modern world are other humans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm not, and I'm not talking about the predatory part of the human experience. I'm talking about, the access that humans have to make our life harder or easier. And so this is why when we scan the world around us and we're looking to see if we're socially okay, and we all have this internal meter, it's called the sociometer. And the sociometer is basically scanning the world constantly, not just once, but constantly scanning, am I okay? Do they think I'm okay? Are we okay here? Am I still okay? Because if you don't like me, and you have power or access, you can kick me out. And if you kick me out of the tribe, then at some point, our ancient brain said, kicked out of the tribe, that's sure death, because you can't hunt, gather, provide for your family and your kids and figure it all out with a small tribe of four people. So opinions have become the saber-toothed tiger. Is that what you're saying? How about it? How about it? Even glances. Right. Like yeah, yeah. the made up opinion, even when somebody doesn't say something, but you, you look at them and you're, and you say to yourself, I don't think they like what I just said or what I'm wearing or what I didn't say. Yeah. And it's this constant internal 
mechanism that we are trying to calibrate if we're okay. And it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And it's the same circuitry and center in the brain that is responsible for wrestling a bear, running from a saber tooth, you know, figuring out how to get out of, you know, a dark alley with somebody that's got, you know, uh, bad intentions. All that circuitry is alive when we walk into on stage, a boardroom, mm-hmm. sometimes our living room, and we're scanning to go, wait, hold on. This doesn't feel right. This is different now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a, my, my reputation and my, my sense of alive, um, my safety is at stake. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated, but that's what's happening for most people. That's why we're, one of the reasons we're exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we've ramped that up with the, the social media use too. So not only now is it people that I'm associated with in person, now I've got millions of people online as well that can judge me, that can give me that feedback. And, and I think maybe more importantly, like when you post something or, you know, maybe they give you some feedback or some judgment or critique, but I think most people um, care less about that and care more about, unfortunately, well, what is what does Darren's life look like? Yeah. What is Joey's life? What is Susie's? Oh my, Susie's on a yacht? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like Susie just bought a yacht? Wow. And I'm still rowing on my dinghy. So there's that comparison thing that it's not so much, are they going to critique me? Which is true. You're right on with it. This The second layer and deeper layer, I think, is I'm watching other people and feeling like I don't hold up. Yeah. Mm, yeah. We're seeing that in a lot of our kids. Like I'm seeing that. And especially when, you know, social media over the last 10, 15 years, which, you know, with four kids, just watching them, well, they didn't get invited to the movies and they're seeing it on social media. And now it's like meltdown hour, you know, and that, I think, I think there's a lot of that, that, I mean, but I think over the years it probably, you know, without social media, it, that's been a part of, our intake, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it, this is not like something just new has happened. That's just a human makeup, isn't it? It is. And Darren, what, when was the last time, when, when did you retire? In 05. Okay. So I think you were outside of this where um, you walk into a locker room now and halftime, people yep. are checking their phones. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it, it, to the point that it needs to be addressed. Uh. So, so it'd be hard to walk into a locker room probably this year where people would be on their phones because a handful of years ago, people were doing it and now it's being addressed. Mm. But right after the game, right after the game, you know exactly what's happening. They're on Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah, on Twitter, checking out like highlights. What are people saying? And so it's it's the external calibration that is dangerous. Mm. So if I, if I am offloading my sense of worth and value and esteem and confidence to you, and now my, my sense of self is in, I've externalized it to somebody else. I've lost the ability to have an internal calibration. Mm. Check data to see if we slept well, we check other people to see if we are okay. As opposed to, this is why mindfulness meditation, journaling, psychology, sitting in a room with somebody that only is focused on you being better is there. Those three are designed to help you reestablish that sense of internal calibration and the most powerful people check me on this. If you guys think I'm, I'm off base here, I think the most powerful people on the planet are the ones that say, I determine my experience. I can look at you and have great love. I could even, so this is me now, my bias. I want to love other people and not give a shit what they think of me. <laughs> and so if I can do that, I feel like I, de- I decide how I'm going to experience life. Uh-huh. If the external world around me is falling apart, if people are like angry or pissed off or whatever, can I maintain my sense of dignity and peace? Mm-hmm. So, But we can't get there if we don't have the skills or the ability to calibrate our internal state. Yeah. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you 
so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out at Sleep Number Store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to Sleep Number. Get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about that in your journey. So you have this moment on the surfboard, and then you go through the next however long learning these skills. Where did you go from there? How did you get into ultimately what you're doing today? Um, I barely got out of high school. And I, I, you guys are bringing stuff out that I don't talk about much. So I barely got out of high school because I spent, I spent way more time doing things that I loved and I didn't love at that point, learning. Mm. It was and so my parents pulled me aside and this was like, I'm in my kitchen with them. It was my mom, actually, not my, my, my dad was relatively absent. He was turned into a workaholic from a drug, drug addict, mm. drink, you know, drinking and, and just kind of not hard drugs, but like smoking or whatever. But that's just an absent mm-hmm. nature with a high emotional volatility, right? When you grow up and someone's got an addiction and then the addiction turned into workaholism. So it was my mom, she pulls me aside and she says, um, we tried, you know, and she's kind of full with like emotions. And she says, we didn't go to college. We didn't know how to help you navigate. You know, you, Mike, you just, you're, you're you know, difficult, but a good kid. And, um, you know, you, you got to make a decision now. It's like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is my senior year. What, what did, I didn't go to my SAT. I didn't go to any of that stuff. Like I didn't, I just blew it off to go surfing. And they said, you got to make a decision. Or she said, you got to make a decision, either get a job and get out or go to junior college. And I thought like junior college, isn't that where like, isn't that where the losers go? Mm, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was literally about to I don't say know that. You guys went to junior college. No, no. <laughs> so, that, that was my yeah, stereotype too. Yeah. You guys had it put together. And I was like, well, I'm not ready for a job and all that thing. So, but I knew I could, I knew I could put them together. Mm-hmm. I knew I could surf and say, I went to school. And I knew I could just kind of do that for a while. So I said, all right, I'll do it. And then um, there was three professors. And I, I love bringing up their names, Dr. Cusio, Dr. Zanka, and Dr. Um, Perkins, philosopher, theologian, and psychologist. And they were best friends. It sounds like <laughs> I'm setting up a bad joke. But they, <laughs> they saw me coming and they're like, hey, kid, um, you know, we want to show you like how this stuff works. Like you, you ask good questions and I was like, okay, cool. And I thought I could just use it for surfing. And I come to find out like this, this invisible world that is involved with all humans, mm-hmm. psychology and, you know, philosophy is like complicated and it's always available, meaning that it's in you, it's in me. And every human alive has a mind like, wow, I want to be great with mine. And I didn't even think I was going to help anyone else do it. So that's when it started to turn. And then from that point, I, it was my second semester in college. I read, you know, on the end of the syllabus and they say, these are some recommended books. Yeah. And most of the time you're just barely reading the the, mm-hmm. the one book, I guess the, the, the textbook I was reading everything and the shit just caught on fire. And, um, um, I loved it. And so I wrapped up that school and went to, um, which was Loyola Marymount graduated from there and then went to, uh, Pepperdine got a master's degree from uh, transferred out from traditional psychology to um, sports psychology. So I got my master's from Long Beach mm-hmm. and went back to uh, San Diego, got a PhD in psychology, uh, licensed specialization in sport and performance, and then found myself back in locker room or no, I found myself in locker rooms. Like <laughs> you guys will appreciate this. I was like, this is not where I belong. Mm. <laughs> And oh. this is, so this is 19, what is this? No, this is like early 2000. And I was like, these people are full of shit. I was right. This mm. is about narcissism. This is about like made up rules and like mm. adults now yelling at like 20 year olds. I go, this is crazy. And I didn't, I wasn't really valued in those environments in the early 2000. Uh, the coach wanted me there, but the players didn't really. Mm-hmm. And there was like maybe three this was hockey. It was like three out of 30 coach athletes that were like, Oh, I'd like this. And that would fill my bucket up. And I'm like, this is just a waste of my time. And I sound so jaded when I say it, but remember I was like this punk kid that, you know, I needed to be off access. I needed to do it quote unquote, the, 
the adventure way. So that's where I found myself reconnecting into um, action and adventure sports. And I spent about 10 years in the backcountry working with um, the most radical risk takers on the planet where these guys would pack their bags. If they're going to go do something, you know, backcountry mountain stuff, they pack their bags. Um, the morning, they sorry, they, they, they put up a tent, you know, wherever kind of the base camp is um, from like a ski adventure or something. They're going to ski a line that's never been skied before. And they would pack their bags in the morning so that if they didn't make it and they died, that their friend wouldn't have to pack up their shit. Oh, wow. So the honesty and the purity and the full command and the full interest in getting my craft, my body and my mind right was like, it was just that it was just honest because mm. nature doesn't play. And so I was in that environment for about 10 years. And then um, uh, a mutual friend put together a dinner with coach Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And, uh, and it was just a great dinner. He's like, I'm trying to do it differently. And, um, you know, love for you to come up and see kind of what it looks like and feels like. And I was like, yeah, this is a great dinner. Um, I'd love to just see what you're doing. I had no interest in going back into a locker room experience. That man, that's interesting. That is, I mean, so, so let me ask you, what was their thought process? What were they you were there, but what were the questions? Because, I mean, look, I, I get in the locker room, I get some of the questions that might be, be asked of you. But out there, when you're, in the, when you're outside, out there and they, these guys are just, you know, they're adventurers, man. And, yeah. you know, they, it's, it's life or death. I mean, what are some of the questions that they're asking you? What are you, what are you doing uh, to lift okay. them up or get their mind free? Yeah, that's a cool question. So... One of the projects that you you might be familiar with, but I'll, I'll borrow it to tell a story, is the Red Bull Stratos program. So Felix Baumgartner mm -hmm. was a gentleman who wanted to see if he could break the sound barrier without any support. So just his body to break the sound barrier. To do that, he had to go up to where there was near zero gravity. So he had to go up 130,000 feet, 24 miles up into the sky. And then he was just going to jump and the <laughs> brightest minds in aerospace weren't sure if his, when he passed the sonic kind of threshold and he, you know, broke the speed of sound Mach one, that if his arms and legs would remain intact, mm. you know, like we, no one knew. And this was actually important for aerospace because at that point they're like, I think we need to get to Mars. You know, we need to explore other colonization, you know, mm -hmm. off this planet because we're blowing it. Um, our planet is not going to survive at the rate that we're using it up. And so this, that was early days of the idea, like we need to understand if we're going to send people up into outer space and we need to pull the eject button, could somebody survive the fall down? So there was an aerospace bit. There was a, the, the, the radical adventure bit. And then they bring me in because four years into the project, tens of millions of dollars invested, like each suit that they were designing was like $2 million for him to withstand the, the temperature. And so tens of millions of dollars invested, greatest minds in aerospace, technology is on point. He raises his hand in the airport as he's, he's from Germany or Austria at that time, and he's flying in back and forth from the States to, to do the training. And he's at the airport at LAX and he's crying and he says, team, I can't do it. I'm fucking scared. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a whole documentary on it. So I'm not sharing something that um, I shouldn't be sharing. Right. Fred, that's mm -hmm. privileged. And so he's just, he's, we thought the project was going to be scrubbed and they said, all right, well, let's get you some support. So, so you know what they did? They got him somebody that, um, was going to help him with his cardio. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you know, if you're scared in there and you're breathing heavy, let's just get your fitness right. Yeah, so let's get breathing. your heart rate down. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, this is how old and archaic, you know, some of the thinking is in, in the system. You know? And so he's like, okay, I'll try it. And he knew he needed to talk to a psychologist. Right. You know? So that didn't work. And then they folded me into the project and, um, you know, the rest is history. But what we did 
that that's a good emblem, Darren, for this idea, which is if you are designing your life to explore your potential, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not talking about designing your life to make money or to look cool or to get a jersey, but you're designing your life to fundamentally understand what's possible for you, mm-hmm. that we end up kind of all of us asking the same questions. And those questions, I bet you know the questions. Those questions are not different from one locker room to another. But when when your life is on the line, if somebody makes a mistake or you make a mistake, it's just real. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, imagery? Okay, I guess I'll do that. I guess I'll do that, you know, maybe pregame. Mm-hmm. He, got one, he got one shot at it. Yeah. We, he, in his mind, he saw that movie play out thousands of times with great detail, with great control before he actually stepped into the most hostile environment on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, which if there's a hole in a suit, he dies. If there's some sort of oxygenation mishap that happens, he dies. If he goes into a flat spin, which he did, mm-hmm. he dies. He got out of, he got himself out of the flat spin, which was remarkable. So um, it's nothing that Darren, you weren't interested in when you're playing, but it's just um, when your life is on the line, and or somebody else's life is on in your hands, the responsibility is incredible. And so you do the work. Mm. Mm. <sighs> so many places my mind's going here. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching that and and just seeing them flipping through the air. And, and I mean, it was just unbelievable to watch. It's a different perspective, what you're saying here. Those that are in extreme sports or, or him, for instance, who his life was literally on the line. It's a different perspective that they have on life in general. Mm. And that's not, earth, that's not an earth-breaking, you know, uh, observation. But it, is there a way to simulate for those that, of us that don't risk our lives? Is there a way for us to get that perspective and to be able to appreciate life overall and step back from the day-to-day? Listen, if you're on the commanders, the Washington Redskins at the time, coming across the middle – and Darren staring, squaring you up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like those receivers, those, those slot, those receivers were figuring it out. Yeah, okay. you got yeah. them gator arms. You got yeah, them gators. So. Gator arms. Yeah. <laughs> they knew. All of a sudden, everything gets real fast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was never scared of Darren across yes, the middle. Yes, you were. You would have been. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That's good. So, um, Yeah. Okay, so is the question? Tell me the question again. Maybe how how do we how do we keep in mind the overall perspective on life, and and maybe get out of the day to day that we just get caught up into? How can we how can we widen our perspective a little bit better? Okay, that's cool. That's a, I like how you asked that because um, having an interesting life is really valuable to the, your sense of being okay and so if you've had a really interesting life you can you can travel into other rooms with all of this experience so that that is one thing that doesn't get talked about often is like explore in your unique own way and so that you can understand humans better you can understand human nature better and you can understand yourself better so that's one way to do it Mm -hmm. that that is um It's not an easy path though, because it requires a lot of time. I think what you're asking for more so though, is on from a psychological perspective is it's the process of self-discovery. And there's a whole host of things that you can do to know yourself better. One is traveling to foreign lands and to go into rooms that are, you know, uh, different than yours and understand or whatever. Like there's this, that external self-discovery, but the internal self-discovery is there's a couple key levers that we can pull on, which is to be incredibly clear with your first principles in life. So when you strip it down, what are the principles that matter above all? Mm -hmm. Mm. And if you can know what those are, let's say you've got three, four, five first principles. You're like, listen, if I got to square up or if I've got to give in to some experience, I'm making sure that these four principles or these two principles I'm being honest with. Mm-hmm. And most people don't do that work. Mm-hmm. And so um, it feels like they've got a philosophy of life that is a bit like a junkyard. 
it's kind of you turn around the corner and there's a cliche that kind of you know it's kind of interesting and it'll hold up for a little bit and you turn another corner in the junkyard and there's another interesting cliche or philosophy that you're using and you know this is why 50 percent of marriages end up in divorce in the united states because the philosophy they say the words mm-hmm. you know to to in front of their their loved one in front of their community in front of god if it's a spiritual practice and they and and they say the words but they haven't metabolized them to be first principles mm-hmm. and so whether it's Dr. King Jr. or somebody else that has a, a tone about e- equality and freedom, is that we know Dr. King Jr.'s first principle. Everywhere he went, he talked about it. He died for it. He lived for it. And he was very clear. And so what one man can do, so can another. So we know what Gandhi's first principles are. We know Mother Teresa's first mm-hmm. principles because everything she spoke about and her actions were in a complete alignment. And she didn't have any PR firm following her around. She just did that work and she's maybe one of the most famous people ever, you know, because the work she did was radical. So so it's a long narrative of saying, what they did is they knew their first principles and then they had complete alignment in their life about them. And that's available to all of us. And you do that internal work. The rooms you go into get significantly easier to to be in because you know what your principles are and then if you can map that to your purpose and that's another big word so first principles and purpose mm-hmm. and if i were to ask you guys like what what is your life purpose most people I'm, this is not to put anyone on the spot but most people go you know i'm still working on it it feels really big i'm not quite sure or like how do you develop how do you know your purpose most people haven't done the work yet. And once you can put first principles and purpose together, oh, wow, now one and one equals not two, but like 11. Mm-hmm. And so those two are really important. And then uh, the third one to know is what are the character virtues that define your style? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to Dr. King and let's Malcolm X and Dr. King are just easy to, I mean, their, their body of work is radical and they had very different styles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, yep. Right. And yeah. so pr- first principles were probably the same style was very different. And so what is your unique style? So we talk, we talk about like your character virtues. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if you get those three, like that little triangle purpose, philosophy, and then um, knowing your character values, and nobody can give you any of these, you have to, you have to sit and think and or write or talk it out with somebody and I can't give you your purpose. Nobody else can give you your purpose. You've got to say, this is my life purpose. Mm-hmm. And we walk around guys, like we've got this, you know, in sport, there's a shot clock, right? In, mm-hmm. in just about every sport. And we walk around life like there's no shot clock. <laughs> All right, All right, man. Like, like when yeah. I say goodbye to you guys, not to get weird, I don't know if I'll ever get to see you again. Mm-hmm. And so when I say goodbye, I'm going to mean it in a way, which is like, you know, I'm wishing your life to be great. Mm. and because i don't know if i'm gonna see you again and right. so um, and if we do we'll have a beer a glass of tea or something it'll be fun you know but like I, I don't and i say it to my wife and my son like i don't know if i'm gonna see you again so when i say goodbye i square up to it mm. i'm like okay i hope your life is great yeah yeah man that's awesome all right, i want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner choctaw casino and resort uh we are really really humbled Uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, But it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive up 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. Doc, I know we only have a few minutes. I, I want to get into some of the things that, you know, I saw you speak one time and you talked about pain and suffering and the difference. 
between the two. Give me your your thoughts on specifically when we're talking about going through or trying to reach your goals. What give me what pain is suffering mean to you? Okay, so suffering is a very technical term. And suffering is I have something that I don't want or I don't have something I do want. Mm. And that excessive rumination around those two things leads to a life of suffering. Mm. So pain is different. There's uh, different types of pain. There's like an acute pain and there's chronic pain. But pain is me dealing with something that is um, sharp or enduring that is difficult to manage. Suffering, in comparison, is I have something I don't want or I have something I do want. Mm. And it's this loop that um, I put myself in because that suffering is psychological. Mm. And um, pain is emotional and psychological and physical. So pain is the reason we change. If if you square up with your pain, you Mm. get really honest with your pain. Pain is the reason we change. Uncomfortableness is how we grow. So you feel that temporary like lactic acid in your muscles and you're getting some adaptation. You feel that emotional uncomfortableness because you say the thing that is truthful in a vulnerable, maybe kind way or whatever. And it's like that vulnerability creates the space to take the risk and that risk is how we grow. So uncomfortableness is how we grow. Pain is the reason we change. Most people numb their pain. They don't want to square up with it. They blame other people. They drink it, drug Mm. it, sex it. They do something to not feel the pain because it's very fucking hard. And so they don't really change. Uncomfortableness is like, it's so much more easy to deal with uncomfortableness. And both of you guys understand uncomfortableness. Both of you had some injuries. So you understand pain. Now, suffering is, is unique because... It literally is a psychological bit that has physical and emotional components to it, but it's very specific what suffering means. I have something I don't want, like I have an extra 10 pounds or I have an ugly face or I have, you know, some sort of something. Mm. I have something I don't want or I have something uh, I don't have what I do want. Like I don't have that that they have that is suffering. That's good. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. What about, uh, I'm sure you've had this conversation hundreds of times, and this is something we've ping-ponged to each other before, but would love to love to get your take. Identity. You know, we play ball, and, and that become we get so wrapped up in that identity of being a football player or an athlete. And then you leave the game or the game leaves you, and it's, a, it's just an abrupt stop. And, again, I'm not telling anything you never heard before. So I'm just curious how you help coach people through – and this could be anybody, whatever, whatever they feel they see their identity in. But how do you coach people through that? Did, did the game leave you guys or did you guys leave the game? Uh, game left me, 05, back surgery, uh, second back surgery, nerve damage, and had drop foot, couldn't, couldn't do it again. I just mentally, after my, that would have been my 11th surgery, that, that the game left me. Yeah. Drop foot is, that's no joke. No. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get the feeling back in your foot? Or yeah, can you got it back in about a year, year and a half. Nerve regenerated, and yeah. and I was back, and could have came back. Honestly, could have came back. Parcells called me back, and, went, and I just mentally, I I checked out. I was gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that, it's a really scary thing to think like I can't lift my foot right. Yes. Like fucking weird, and yeah. there's a like it's a, it's a significant injury. Yeah. So, um, okay, uh, how about for you? It's a complicated answer, but I, I left the game. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> an injury, I, I like to give the excuse that an injury ended it, but it was really me walking away. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And I'm curious why. So I, this people is, don't. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Most people don't. They, most people get kicked out of the party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I did. Essentially, that's what it ended up being. It, it was a knee injury last year in college. Could have kept potentially pursuing it, but I was not mentally tough enough in the moment at the time to continue doing it. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, it, it's a whole other episode yeah. going down that route. So, yeah, no, I feel you. Okay, cool. So, but the question is like identity about mm-hmm. identity, right? And so, 
here's some deep work to do. And it's not what I'm going to say is going to sound easy, but it's actually quite complicated to do. Um, and it's available for everyone. And when you do it, the freedom is right on the other side, which is to decouple who you are from what you do. So if you mm. did that earlier work, we were talking about uh, the self-discovery that really is who you are. What are my first principles? What's my purpose in life? And what is my unique style? What are the virtues that I'm going to be true to? That is in essence, like at the center of who you are. And then what you do is, I don't know, widget maker, athlete, mm. psychologist, whatever it might be. And that if you let what you do define who you are, that goes back to almost the first thing we talked about, yeah. which is the external ex externalization of your identity. And it's, it's so dangerous mm. when, when you go to a, a party, it's like the least favorite question to, for you probably. And for me as well, it's like, tell me what you do. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like they say, Oh, I'm an artist or I'm an athlete. And I think that I'm an athlete is a very dangerous statement mm -hmm. because now athleticism has defined identity. I am an athlete. Right. And so that will get you really good. How about it, Ben? That'll get you good, mm -hmm. mm. but that likely won't, you won't find freedom in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when you say I am an athlete, like you burn the boats a bit and you're like, I'm not an artist. I'm not a musician. I'm not a business person. Right. I'm not a father. I'm not a husband. So I burned all of my other roles to say, this is the role that I am. This is the way I want you to know me. Mm -hmm. And then when I step on the field, my identity is now at stake. <laughs> right. Right. My entire, it's not just the game, win, loss, yep. my entire identity is at risk. And that's why we over, over complicate mistakes and winning and losing. So you decouple who you are from what you do. And once you know who you are, nobody can take that away from you. Mm. Right. Once you know exactly who you are, the external environments that you go into are opportunities to express it. Right. right. Share it, be it. And so, um, I don't know, So it sounds easy. It's actually quite complicated to rip those two things apart. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, the practice of mindfulness and meditation have been around 2,600 years, 2,600 years. And like, we're throwing it around like it's a buzzword the last five years, but it's been around a long time. One of the most ancient practices of mindfulness is you get your ass on a, cushion, you, you quiet your mind or relax your body. So you don't have all that external or internal noise kind of bugging you. And then you, you just explore this thought stem. Who am I? Mm, mm. And watch where you go. Right. And, you know, and sometimes you go to dark places and sometimes you go to places that are like mechanical. And sometimes you go, I have no idea. And that's a little scary. Mm. And sometimes you go, you know what? I'm so much more than this physical frame. I'm so much more than, you know, my mind even. And there's an expansion that takes place. So that type of deep work, who am I, is the process to decouple, I am different than what I do. And the, the best in the world right now are flipping the model and they're saying, I don't need to do the extraordinary to be extraordinary. What I need to do is I don't need to do more to be more, I need to flip it and I need to be more present be more grounded, be more mm -hmm. authentic, mm -hmm. be more creative. And when I can do all of that being, then I let the doing flow from there. Mm -hmm. And that's where we start to get into like these exponential um, flywheel effect type of performance enhancements where it's like, I didn't even know I could do this. This yeah. is amazing because you're not no, you're no longer protecting your identity. You're simply responding and influencing the craft, whatever it is. So I, 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 in my head right now, I'm thinking this is super esoteric, mm -hmm. but in my, like in my practice, it is so concrete mm -hmm. that I hope I'm not just talking mumbo jumbo. No, no, that's awesome. That that, hey, Doc, and I got a couple of things before we jump off here. You've worked with a lot of great, you know, I mean, you, you said it, there's a lot of special people in this world, you know, athletes, CEOs and whatnot. What is it? What is that quality? What is that one thing that you say that just jumps out to you? when when you're meeting someone that's just got this mindset of you know i'm i'm trying to get it done what is it that what's that one thing that they have 
That's a cool question. It actually what set me down this path. Like, is there a single thread of the greats? Mm. You know, like, is there a red thread? I haven't found one. So there are some commonalities amongst the half percenters or even like the fractional half percenters. And so unfortunately you'd like to have them over for dinner once, but probably not after that. <laughs> okay. <'Cause it's> <laughs> I say that about Darren all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh it's all about them. Mm. So that level of narcissism, that level of like over rotated to like all conversations come back to me is the evidence of like how much they think about getting better and getting their needs met and mm. doing life the way they want to do it. And so I think that holds up. I hope it changes in the next 10 years mm -hmm. where we, we have a new model. And so we need leaders like you guys to show the way. But um, so that's one way to think about it. The other way is that they're really clear. Mm. they're really clear on what they're trying to build or do or solve. And they are relentless mm -hmm. to, the truth of it, to figure it out. And most of the, the, the ones that hold up over time, like the greats that their body of work is legit. It's not like one hit wonders mm -hmm. um, is that the consistency comes from a place and that place. Like if I asked you guys, is that place at a neuroticism where they're just like, trying to prove to mom or dad that they're okay. They're trying to mm -hmm. prove like they matter and they're using their, their business or they're using their sport to, to have the validation that they matter or are they really healthy? And they're like, no, this is like, this is like an amazing way to live life. And if it goes away tomorrow, like it's okay, I'll figure out the next thing and it'll be great. Mm -hmm. So my experience has been most people at the top level are pretty neurotic. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a narcissism, a deep anxiety that comes with it, a needing to prove that I'm okay. Um, and, and they've chipped all in at an early age. So there's a, there's a, a high level of um, fear that if it all goes away, they go away. Mm -hmm. And truth is, I, I don't know how you transitioned Darren after how many years were you in the league? 13, 13. Yeah. I went, I went from playing to ESPN and then to, into the commercial real estate world. And, and, uh, that's what I'm doing now. So I've gone through a ton of transitions and you're right. I mean, I had to reinvent myself and get my That's ass right. kicked through a lot of different processes. Uh, was, was real estate easier or was broadcasting easier? Uh, broadcasting by far, because I'm in the business of managing people now with my own company. I have two companies that, you know, software company and a real estate company, but it's, you know, long story here, but more in the I found out that I'm not as good on as far as managing people of both sexes. It's easy for me to manage people in the locker room. Yeah. It's not as easy right. being in corporate America. How about it? Yeah. You know, like, I think, tell me if you think that this is crazy talk, but I, I think it's, I think, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's actually dangerous for me to say it, but I'd love to say it. you guys into this dangerous world of my head and then. <laughs> is that I think locker rooms are some of the most honest rooms. They are. On the Absolutely. It, you know, we're walking around naked, and um, so you get made fun of for yeah. every body part you have. You get, <laughs> right, like, yeah. so there's that level that is rare. Yeah. And but, but you call people out, you square up with them, you hug them, you love them, you cry with them. Yeah. Um, you know, like, there's the, a level of honesty that is really rare yeah. now i say that the reason i say it's dangerous is because like there's that kind of chromagnum alpha insensitive tag mm -hmm. that people think about you know certain locker rooms and i just compare that to the coach's room mm -hmm. and it's one of the most dishonest political gamesmanship angled wow. power and control like i don't know i think that the 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 I'd love to get your, your, your thoughts on this guys. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Go ahead. Yeah. My, my, what I love about the locker room is unlike corporate America where the, the boss is hiring like-minded people. So it's a lot of people that are thinking the same thing. And the locker room is that, but it's a guy from small town, West Texas mm -hmm. next to a inner city, Phoenix, mm -hmm. completely different world than me, different perspective, different opinions, 
all together in one room all working for a common goal. To me, there's no, there's no replication of that in the real world of so many different various backgrounds that doesn't matter, black, white, straight, gay, doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. We're headed towards the same place. Yeah. And it's just such a diverse ecosystem of, yeah. of people. I sent you a video, Ben, just yesterday, I think it was, of, uh, on Instagram, and it was um, Washington uh, Commander's quarterback, yeah. uh, uh, Heineke. Heineke. Yeah. He's wearing the chains after the game. They just beat the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're, and they're on the bus or a train, whatever they're on, going back. And he's wearing the chains – and to hear the words that were being said in that video, it's like a glimpse of, you know, what's going on behind the curtain. But the words and the language that was being spoken, yeah, black dudes saying things, like, in a, which in a locker room, like, outside of that locker room, oh, my God, everybody's like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. You can't say those things. But in that locker room, it exists. It just, yeah. we just exist. And we don't even think anything of it. Like the words are coming out and you're saying things and you are family. Like that's my brother who's standing there and listening to this. And I'm telling you, that's it's, I sent him the video because I just felt like this is, you know, this is the relationship that I have with him. I can say anything to him and he won't be offended. And he's going to say whatever it is to me. And I will not be offended because you just, you go through things and you just have this bond a true bond, and I'm not. I don't have that when I walk into my my businesses. I have to be careful. It's almost like you know, and that, these are some of the conversations that I on leadership. I just want to have some of these conversations on, you know, being intentional with my thoughts and how people are are, are taking it. Sometimes they 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 get a little, you know, they're combative uh, because of my words or whatnot. So I'm, I'm like, those are the things. Those are the conversations that I'd love to have with you. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, this is where you get into that two selves thing. So you hear, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, the the two selves concept. No. No. Okay. So it's, you you guys have both probably lived it, but maybe didn't have a way to describe it. But it's more common than we know. So the two selves concept is that my true self is version A, Mm -hmm. right? And and it's kind of like the locker room, like the, the banter, the joking, the this, that, and the other borderline disrespectful, but loving. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And locker rooms, all locker rooms can take different forms. Of course. Right. I think I just described me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so anyways, uh, so then, then, then you go into the other world, whatever that world is, and there's the second self. And the second self is I have to play a part mm-hmm. to be approved. And so maybe that's like if I go into the room with the corporates or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is flat out exhausting. So what I've decided to do is um, just be a little bit more disciplined with some of my language so that I can be uh, free in any room that I go to. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, I might have a little bit extra cursing in one room, I'm just, but it's not going to fly in other rooms. So I'm not having to monitor myself. I'm just trying to find ways that I can travel in any room I go into and be about it, whatever that, whatever my true self, what that is. So that two self thing is really hard on us. And um, the locker rooms are honest, but I'm not sure that the locker rooms are, I'm not sure that's how boardrooms are supposed to look or businesses are supposed to look either. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's some things that corporates have, right. Um, One of my friends is, um, he built a big business. You, I, I'll keep, I'll keep the name out and, um, he's a tastemaker. Hmm. And so there's, uh, he's one of the cool kids and he built a really big business and it's California based. And uh, we had breakfast, uh, I don't know, it was about a month ago. And he says, Mike, I just, I just let go of one of my guys and it's killing me. You know, he's one of the kind of the core guys and it's killing me. And I said, okay, what was going on? He says, well, two things. One is I came in there and we have a good relationship. And um, he's a little bit younger and I've been mentoring him for a while. He comes in and uh, or I came in, I said, hey, listen, it's not working. I, you know, we've had these conversations. It's just not working. Um, you gotta go. And the kid, he's 28, mm. looked up at him and said, are you firing me? He said, yeah. He said, who's firing me? He said, I am, I'm the owner of the company. 
He said, okay, the owner of the company is firing me. For what reason? And my friend walked right into it. He said, poor performance. Like, mm. you're not doing it. It's not cutting it anymore. He said, okay, thank you. Went and lawyered up. Didn't even have to get a good lawyer. Uh, got two and a half years of uh, compensation because in California, you can't fire somebody for poor performance. Well, I, I just, just take that back. You can, but you have to have this pretty radical disciplined approach mm. and you can't just walk it like you can go into a locker room and say hey listen you, you've really got to you know close a gap you're getting beat on on you know the the this route or whatever and like you know we got to work on this and if you're not tackling if you're not if you're going to have these missed tackles whatever whatever we got to work on that mm. and if not you know and so you know right, right and right but it's not like it's there's all these monitoring it's just performance speaks for itself mm-hmm. So he lost two and a half years of this guy's contract, um, not including legal fees. So it's like, it's a different world. Like uh, employees for some really good reasons have a lot of power, but um, they scare the shit out of. uh, (laughs) Yes, exactly. You Uh, ain't kidding. You ain't kidding. Well, yeah, we're up against the clock here. We we apologize that we went a little little over, but man, we could, we could talk to you all day long. And Listen, you guys are fun. Yeah, and I no. hear you, you just let your draw slip. I just heard it. You just heard it. Time. That's that West Texas <laughs> in them right there. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm exploring. I'm exploring who I really am. You're helping me discover who I really am. <laughs> no, but man, thank you so much. We're going to be continue to be huge fans of yours. We love your message. We love your, yeah. your, the way you teach and the way you re, you know, your thoughtfulness and, Everything about you, man, is just, it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. And we appreciate yeah, you so much. Together. Let's, let's have some fun after this and maybe figure out a way that we can do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks Thank again, you, Doc. Take Thanks, care. everybody.